Blog Talk Radio. Again, I've never done this. I have no opinion on it one way or the other. 
But um, as we always do on the show, uh, we try to find folks that know what they're talking about. And I have a Facebook friend out there uh, and longtime listener of the show who keeps backyard poultry. She did some research uh, about this to make up her own mind, and she found um, our guest today, uh, Dr. Jacqueline Jacob. And um, Dr. Jacob is uh, a Ph.D., of course, and she is with the University of Kentucky Department of Animal and Food Sciences. And she's going to be joining us here in a few minutes to talk about, again, the good, the bad, uh, and the ugly of uh, keeping, uh, of doing this um, permanent feed. Now, when I sent her an email and started communicating with her, I was like, you know, at the end of the day, what am I really looking for regarding the show? Well, pretty simple. Really five things. Maybe we'll add a couple. You know, number one, what is fermented poultry feed? Uh, number two, what are the benefits of, po- of fermented poultry feed, if, if done correctly? Uh, so that's key there. I think there may be some benefits of doing this, if it's done correctly. Number three, what is the proper way to ferment poultry feed? Because we see uh, many different ways and the way many different people are doing it on, on these blogs and forums. Uh, number four, what are the negatives and risks associated with fermenting poultry feed? And uh, five, do the benefits actually outweigh the risks, time, and effort to actually give the to use and, and create fermented poultry feed for our flocks. I think it's going to be a great show. Um, I don't know how long it's going to be. These are just five or six things that I felt that I wanted to know about it uh, to get across and how detailed uh, the doc goes into those is, is up to her. But I hopefully those are our goals, those are our questions we hope to answer during the show today, and I hope you take lots of notes. I will be taking lots of notes. I've never done this. I have no opinion one way or the other, whether it's good, bad, or ugly. Or what is, or, or is a combination of everything? Uh, it can be great, the greatest thing on, on on planet Earth if it's done correctly. And you will see these great nutritional benefits. You will see your feed bill drop in half. Blah blah blah. All these things that people say, but you know nobody gets on these blogs and forums and says, "Well, I've been doing this, and all my flock's dead now, and they got you know I created this this <laughs> horrible uh, mush that was at Michael uh, just as horrible." So um. Uh, might attack toxins. So we'll talk about that um, in today's show. So I'm glad you're joining us today. Um, I've rescheduled, actually, because today is uh, Dr. Maurice Patisky's normal scheduled day with us. And uh, we're going to be talking to him. He's checked his calendar next Tuesday. So next week we'll have two shows. We'll do one Tuesday at 2 p.m. Uh, with Dr. Patisky. And then we'll do one next Thursday um, at 2 p.m. And that looks like that will be with Dr. McCray. So all these wonderful chicken experts we've had on the show, we've had them on for years. And uh, we want to make sure we get you the right information, not what we see on a blog, not on a forum, not just, oh, work for me, it'll work for you. We beat that dead horse I don't know how many times where it worked for me, it'll kill your chickens. So uh, it won't work for you because your chickens aren't like mine or had anything or had, had what mine had. So we got a great show. I'm very excited about the show today. Um, I'm going to go ahead and get to our first commercial break. We take two in the hour-long show, less than regular uh, AM, FM radio, less than TV. So we got to get to our break. So during break, if you haven't already, get that pen, get that paper, and get ready to take some notes today because when we get back here in a few minutes, uh, I will welcome Dr. Jacqueline Jacob, Ph.D., um, with the uh, University of Kentucky there in the animal um, uh, department, Animal Sciences, and uh, we'll be talking to her all about fermented feed. So we'll be 
back right after this short break. Stay with us, folks. When you need an incubator, think Brincy, the incubation specialists. Brincy has been a world-leading manufacturer of quality incubators for almost 40 years. They manufacture incubators that hold anywhere from 7 to 380 eggs with high-quality electronic and digital controls, including precise humidity controls and programmable egg turning, all at surprisingly affordable prices. Enter the coupon code WHISPER at checkout and receive 10% off your entire order. Order your new incubator today at Brincy.com. That's B-R-I-N-S-E-A.com. Give the chicken fountain a try. It's clean water by design. It's a new way to water your flock. Chickens to turkeys to ducks to peacocks. Nothing to lose, so start today. Not a major water, the easy way. Learn more now, you can't go wrong. Chickenfountain.com Cackle Hatchery is a third generation family-owned and operated hatchery. They offer over 193 varieties of poultry shipped directly from their facility in Missouri. It's their mission to enhance your life by providing you with quality poultry for showing, meat, enjoyment, eggs, and pets. They specialize in hatching purebred poultry and shipping day-old chicks right to your local post office since 1936. 4-H and FFA Youth Poultry Clubs get a 10% discount. Check out their website, CackleHatchery.com, for posted weekly specials and discounts. That's CackleHatchery.com. Tasty Grubs by Tasty Worms Nutrition are the original dried black soldier fly larva made right here in the USA. Tasty Grubs are high in protein and calcium, vital nutrients for laying hens. Customers have reported an increase in shell quality, egg taste, and a reduction in molting time. For a limited time, get a bag of Tasty Grubs 100% free. Simply enter tastyworms.com forward slash whisper into your web browser and add one to your cart today. Save 10% on all other products such as dried mealworms by entering the coupon code whisper at checkout. That's tastyworms.com forward slash whisper. The Yardbird Chicken Plucker takes the hassle out of backyard chicken processing by fully defeathering birds in less than 15 seconds. The compact size makes it easy to transport and easy to store. The one and a half horsepower motor and 20 inch stainless steel tub can handle two eight pound birds at the same time. There are no belts or pulleys to wear out and no adjustments necessary, which makes it virtually maintenance free. For more information about how you can own this must-have chicken processing product, visit YardbirdChickenPluckers.com today. That's YardbirdChickenPluckers.com. Ideal Poultry has been a family-owned and operated business since 1937. Their business is built on customer service and quality poultry. From rare white and brown egg layers to broilers, ducks, turkeys, and bantams, Ideal Poultry is the largest supplier of backyard poultry in the United States, shipping close to 5 million chicks annually. Visit them online at IdealPoultry.com. That's IdealPoultry.com. And the mighty bird against prejudice continues his fight for law and order. 
So when you hear that cry in the sky... You'll know it's Super Chicken. Hi, I'm country music artist Nathan Osmond, and you're listening to Backyard Poultry with the Chicken Whisperer. Alrighty, thank you very much for staying with us today on Backyard Poultry with the Chicken Whisperer brought to you by Kalmbach Feeds. I want to remind you that, well, I guess in a couple of weeks uh, we'll have all the material in for the winter issue of Chicken Whisperer magazine, and it's going to have tons of great information in it, as it always does, for all of our subscribers. So be on the lookout for that probably around uh, Thanksgiving uh, to the first last week uh, of uh, November. Uh, by the latest, if you uh, subscribe to the print edition, it should be somewhere around the first uh, few days of December. That will be the winter issue. We're going to have a fabulous spring issue. We've already looked ahead and started uh, working on that. So uh, we hope you, if you haven't already subscribed, you can do so at chickenwhisperermagazine.com. So, again, thanks for staying with us. We have a great show lined up today. We've been wanting to do the show for quite some time now. Uh, we've got Dr. Jacqueline Jacob. She's a Ph.D., and uh, she is a poultry scientist over at the University of Kentucky Department of Animal and Food Sciences. And um, she was brought to my attention by a, a listener who's been doing research on this herself and said, hey, I think I found a wonderful person uh, who's qualified to come on and talk about uh, fermented poultry feed, the good, the bad, and, and the ugly. And we've talked about that. We're going to discuss it. You know, We understand that it's, it's more than just throwing some lamb pellets in a bucket and covering it with water. Uh, there may be some serious risk to your flock if not done correctly. Uh, and, and we want to know about this. Like I said earlier, I've never done this myself. I've never had really any ambition to. I'm happy with what I'm doing. Um, and it's, uh, but I need to learn. So we want to share it with everybody. <clears throat> so we're going to head over to the phone lines right now. Let me get back over here to the uh, studio. And uh, let's all give uh, Dr. Jacob a, a big warm welcome here on Backyard Poultry with the uh, Chicken Whisperer radio show. Dr. Jacob, thank you so much for joining us today. No problem. Good. Yep, can I can hear, hear you loud and I sure can, loud and clear. Thank you so much for calling in today. No problem. Great. So, um, yeah, so in the email, of course, we had exchange and told folks, so, you know, we, we want to get enough information out there that people kind of can understand this. And there's not a, a whole lot, but like I told them earlier in, in, in the email, you know, with our, our top five things we'd like to learn today, you know, what, what is fermented poultry feed? What are the benefits if done correctly? Um, what is the proper way to ferment poultry feed? What are the negatives and risks associated uh, with the fermented feed? And uh, do the benefits at the end of the day, uh, if done correctly? outweigh the risk, time, and efforts to, uh, to do this for our backyard flock. You know, some people don't have a lot of time. Some people have all the time in the world. Maybe they retired. Uh, maybe they, um, their husbands work. They're, they're, they're at home. They have their hobbies. And they have time to, to do a lot of this stuff. So it's, it's, a, it's a mixed um, bag here of all kinds of folks. And some, even though they're like, oh, I wish I could do that, I just don't have the time to do that. And that may not be an issue at the end of the day. So if you would, uh, Doc, if you'll tell us a little bit about uh, your background and uh, really your position and what you do there uh, at uh, University of Kentucky, and then we'll get on with uh, fermented feet. Okay. Um, my official position is uh, poultry extension project manager, which doesn't really tell you anything. Um, <laughs> I work with poultry extension. Uh, I work with all levels of poultry production, but I uh, specialize in small backyard flocks, organics, alternative production, as well as the 4-H uh, youth programming. 
Um, as far as my background, I'm Canadian. Um, went to the University of British Columbia, got my bachelor's, went to Mozambique, and I worked there for uh, four and a half years. And I came back and did my master's uh, in poultry nutrition. And then I did my PhD research uh, at the University of Nairobi in Kenya, although my degree was from the University of British Columbia. Then I did a postdoc in pigs, and then from there I ended up in Florida for five and a half years working in poultry extension, and then um, Minnesota for seven and a half years doing uh, extension as well, and now I'm here in Kentucky, and I've been here for uh, a little over eight years. That's awesome. Thank you very much for, for covering all of that. Um, definitely more than qualified to talk about fermented feed, but I believe you had had an article out through Extension um, about fermented feed and, and, some, and some risks there, and um, I'm trying to see if I have it right uh, on, if I can have access to that. If not, I'll probably try to get it during the show, and I can post that over on our Facebook page, but... Um, and that was brought to me, of course, by a, a listener and fan. So we, we wanted to have you on to, to talk about this. And we'll just kind of start uh, maybe the, the, the top five things, maybe in the order that we need to go. If not, feel free to, to change it up. But uh, what exactly at the end of the day is fermented poultry feed? Everybody seems to be, or a lot of people seem to be wanting to jump on this bandwagon over the last couple of years and more and more recently. And we just, we need to talk about it. What What is fermented or what does it mean? And um, what exactly is this? this term for us in our backyard flock. Right. Okay. Uh, in layman terms, it's basically, you know, feed that's been mixed with water and allowed to ferment, just like the name would imply. The problem is that there are different types of fermentation depending on whether it's bacterial, yeast, or fungal, or uh, any other type of bacteria. Um, also, fermentation results will be affected by the time of the soaking, the temperature, the water to feed ratio, the type of feed used as a substrate. So it's not really as simple as just adding water to the feed and letting it sit for a few days and ending up with a product that you can feed your chickens. So if we step back a little bit, humans have sure. used fermented uh, feeds, foods for uh, many years all over the world fermented foods and beverages contribute to the diet of many different cultures. Um, much of the interest in liquid feeds started with the swine industry, and it was basically an opportunity to recycle liquid byproducts from the human food industry, and fermenting such liquid feeds helped to preserve the feed and prevent contamination by pathogens. But then they looked at fermenting whole feeds, and again, this started with pigs. It was beneficial for suckling pigs to transition from mother's milk to solid food by using the, the um, fermented feed in between. This, of course, is not the case with poultry because poultry are, although monogastrics like pigs, we don't suckle uh, when we're born. Um, with the ban in antibiotics as growth promoters um, came into effect, Animal agriculture began looking for alternatives to the antibiotics. And again, swine producers, they turn to fermented feed. And if done correctly, there is a drop in pH 
making the liquid feed more acidic. And this acidic environment inhibits the development of many pathogens, including E. coli and salmonella. And as the ban on antibiotics spread to poultry, fermented feed was also looked at. While uh, liquid feeding can be handled by most swine production systems, that's not necessarily the case with poultry. So while the research showed minimal benefit uh, and the equipment problem, they, it was basically abandoned by the poultry industry uh, in preference for other things that can work um, just as well. Um, however, it's an idea. If you check the, uh, the Google online, you'll find that it, you know, it's been taken up by many of the small poultry producers around the country. And with them, it's uh, just as with pigs, it's a biosafety aspect. Um, the acidic nature of properly fermented feeds helps to control the pathogenic bacteria, which for po poultry is E. coli, salmonella, and campylobacter. However, other control methods can be used with much less risk. Um, this includes the use of probiotics, which is basically just adding the lactic acid bacteria itself instead of trying to cultivate it in the fermented feed. Adding organic acids, which is just reducing the pH without going through the hassle of uh, fermentation to grow the lactic acid bacteria to reduce the pH. Uh, and some prebiotics have been found to be very functional. There's different kinds, and some have even looked at feed enzymes. So the poultry industry is not interested because there are alternatives that are much less labor-intensive, much less risk and much more effective. Okay, so um, talked about the different things, maybe some, and that was my, obviously one of our questions is, um, and spending the time to do this, we'll get to in, in other words, is that you can get the same benefits by spending a lot less time, a lot less possible risk, a lot less effort by maybe finding a good probiotic design for poultry. Um, they're, they're out there even for a small flock adding a little bit, uh, a couple of tablespoons, what have you, to the, uh, to the water and, and getting the same benefit, maybe going through all of this work. And by that, you're eliminating all the possibilities of risk with, that may come along with the fermented process. Right. I mean, there's a, a lot of antidotal reports on the Internet with regards to fermented feed. But if you try to look through the literature, of the scientific literature, there's very little research out there. Mm -hmm. um, most of it comes from Europe. Um, I, there was one trial at, that was cited by uh, one of the small flock producers looking at um, ready-to-lay pullets. They were fed from 16 to 38 weeks of age, and the result was a for the ones on the fermented feed, there was a delay in onset of egg production. And so as a result of that, they had increased egg size. So you can't really say feeding fermented feed results in increased egg size. It basically delayed the, the age at which they started laying, which is already known to increase egg size. Just the same as yeah. if you bring them into production too early, you get small eggs. 
throughout the production cycle. Uh, and they only they found some effect on seed efficiency, but it was only for a small portion of that uh, time period. Um, I think it was like 26 to 32 weeks or something out of the 16 to 38 weeks. So um, I don't think that it really had much of an improvement overall in feed efficiency. And um, another study noted the, the risks of wet litter, uh, which can be a real problem in poultry houses, um, dirty feathers, uh, the risk of disease spread, the high cost of the equipment, and um, again, they decided that it wasn't very practical unless you're working in a hot environment and you're trying to cool your birds down. There was another study in the Netherlands that um, showed that fermented liquid feed reduced the susceptibility of broilers to Salmonella enteritidis, while it mm -hmm. slowed the transmission of the Salmonella from one bird to another it really didn't stop a full-blown outbreak, just mm -hmm. slowed it a little bit um, of the transmission, but they still, it didn't prevent the major outbreak. So it's not an alternative to good management practices. Mm -hmm. um, that, uh, there also was some research that said that fermentation has been shown to reduce the activity of some anti-nutritional factors such as phytate, which binds up phosphorus, trypsin inhibitors, tannins, sampanins, mostly found in beans. So if you're using a lot of alternative feed ingredients, it may have a role. Um, the research is still not there, but there it hints to it. So, um, yeah. So the, like you said earlier, the information that's out there right now uh, just really isn't showing a big enough positive or increase in health or what to, to make it worth at least a large producer's time uh, to do all this, plus outweighing the risks that if something should happen along the way um, to cause more harm than good versus just adding something to their water to get the same effect, if not a, a better effect, um, a, a better outcome and, and less risks if, if um, than, than doing the fermented feed time. Now, the when you're fermenting feed, and I say this because I've never done it, and I'm so green with this. Um, does does they does it have to be grains? Because I have seen folks that say, "Well, I have five gallon bucket, I filled it halfway full with laying pellets or laying uh, um, crumble, and then I just filled it up to the top with water, top, not to the top of the bucket, at the top of the feed, so all the water was covered, and then I just let it sit, and I'll say I let it sit for a week, I let it sit for seven days, um, whatever, until it was mushy, <laughs> and, yeah. and then I scoop that out and give it to my chickens. Um, does it have to be grain-based, or can, you know, I know there's some bits of grain in the pellets once it's cooked and mashed, and, 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 and then it the, goes through the dye to make, make the pellet, but is this something that should only be done with grains or can these folks doing it with pellets and crumbles? Is, is that acceptable as well? And then is there, what, what do we look for? Because I haven't seen anything definitive on, on any of these blog reforms that say you cover it up and you let it sit for two days, four days, six days, two weeks, 17 days, whatever, or you let it sit there until it's all mushy. Is there some, is there a, a reaction we're looking at? Because I know you talked about the different types uh, of fermentation in the mm -hmm. backyard. It seems like most people are just, covering 
grain or covering pellets with water until it turns to mush, and then they're just feeding it to their chickens. So kind of educate us a little bit more on the science of doing this as far as what kind of the process um, of it fermenting, uh, really how long it takes. That may be a loaded question based on you know how much, and, and, and you know, we look at it as something that two days, two weeks, four weeks, um, and then... Um, uh, how long is too long? Okay, I've got I got I got this five gallon bucket of, of mush from water and pellets or water and, and my uh, grains, and I start giving it to my chickens. Well, how long before that goes goes bad? Um, now I've got all this wet feed here soaking in this water, or it's absorbed a lot of water. Maybe it's some mush now. And how long is that good? Bef- and before it's not good anymore. And now I'm not going to throw this out, which now means I've wasted feed instead of saving feed because it got mold all over it. Uh, about you know a few days after I started feeding my chickens, <laughs> so that's a lot of questions in yeah. that that. But we want to yeah. you know, definitely... coming up with a, a formula for for fermenting feed, and it is usually the whole feed. You can do it with just the grains, but the research that I cited looks at whole grain. I mean, looks at whole feed. Um, I look at it like a three-legged stool. Unless all of them are right, you're going to have a really wobbly stool. And uh-huh. one leg of the stool is the microorganisms involved in the fermentation. And you want lactic acid bacteria that, to grow. You don't want the fungus, the yeast, or coliforms, or other bacteria like E. coli to, to grow during the fermentation. So uh, the idea is to get the lactic acid started. And if you just um, put out, you know, your water and your feet in it and and look for spontaneous fermentation um, it's not very reliable method to produce a safe and palatable product so uh, what a lot of people do is called back slopping so uh, you take a portion of your successful batch about 25 percent of it and put it into your next batch which basically um, Seeds the the lactic acid bacteria to grow into the in the next batch. So um, the microorganisms is the the first leg. You have to have the right um, organisms in the right amount to do it. The other leg is the conditions of the fermentation. So that would be time, which is usually in hours, not in days or weeks. Uh, the temperature and the feed to water ratio. Um, temperature is extremely important because if you add cold water to the feed, you get what's called cold shock, and the pathogens will produce what are known as cold shock proteins that can protect them from fermentation. And so uh, it inhibits the growth of the lactic acid bacteria and allows yeast to become more dominant. So, you, you know, you could end up with a bunch of drunk chickens. Uh, and the last leg uh, is the substrate itself, which is the levels of carbohydrates, fibers, proteins, amino acids, vitamins, and whatever. And that will vary depending on the type of animal that you're feeding. If you're feeding a broiler, it's going to be a different type of feed than if you're feeding a, a pullet or you're feeding a laying hen. Um, so there isn't one formula that's going to work for every type of feed. Um, if you look online, you'll see anywhere, you know, feed to water ratios of 1 to 1.5 up to 1 to 4, um, you know, putting lots of water in. If you allow it to ferment too long, you're basically using up all your nutrients 
in the seed and you're not giving them much of anything back um, in terms of nutrients. So your feed efficiency would go down considerably if you left it too long. Plus you, you get more likelihood of um, alcohol formation, acetic acid, and stuff like that that's going to um, make the feed unpalatable. So they're not going to want to eat it. And then, of course, you have the increased likelihood of, of mold with mycotoxins and all sorts of uh, other problems. And um, bacteria will grow well, just like lactic acid bacteria will grow. Clostridium botulinum will grow as well. So you could end up, you know, feeding your chickens botulinum soup. So um, <laughs> there isn't one formula that you can really say this is how you do it for everybody. Because there's right. so many is there, factors. Is there um are, is, are there things to, to try to get all of that right stuff to occur? Uh, is there if doing your fermentation? Do people add different things to it, or is it still just water? You just add water and hope for the best that everything's uh, creates like it should and creates the correct mixture um, and the right things grow or do uh, people that really get into this say I'm adding water but I add a couple of these other things too to help this uh, create the right mixture and then are there any type of test is it just guesswork oh I think this is ends up being okay are there tests that we could test the feed I know and again backyard poultry they're not going to pay for that if there are tests money wise but but I guess is, is to do it the right way, are we still only adding water and hoping for the best way? And then are there tests along the way or when it's done to say, okay, this is the mixture I need. This is showing or these are clues that I know that this is good and not bad for my flock? Uh, not really. Um, as I said, the, the egg industry abandoned it, and they would right. be the ones that would have put money into the research of uh-huh. it. Um most of the ones that use it online have, you know, it's uh, they've trial and error over time to get the right batch uh, that works for them with their feed at their temperatures for their period of time. Um, so it's really hard to say that there's just one formula for everybody. Uh, right. In I terms think- of... If you know it smells like alcohol, you probably don't want to give it to your chicken. Um, It's probably gone too far because you've got more of the acidic acid instead of the lactic acid. And is that um, something that just occurs? Okay, I've added this, uh, I got this mixture offline, whatever, one to one and a half combo water seed. And then um, it's just, uh, like you said, oh, it smells like alcohol. Obviously, I uh, I did something wrong or that it didn't do the right thing or didn't do what I was hoping it was. I'm going to get to the negatives here in just a second, but I still want to kind of cover this uh, thing if these folks that are doing it. You talked about temperature, too. So I I can, I still uh, envision these folks that all throughout the hot summer at this, you know, I just put water on it and and it forms this mush. In the wintertime, they're just doing the same thing. Um, It sounds like if they're doing this on their back porch, their back patio, and their back little shed, uh, and they live in a cold climate, uh, they may have a different outcome in the winter and in the summer. If they're just doing this, they got this five-gallon bucket sitting in the back shed. In the summertime, it's hot and humid, and they do this, and then they'll do it the same thing. In the wintertime, here it is 38 degrees, and I'm still putting, you know, uh, covering this feed with water. 
sounds like temperature is very, very, very important, and you may need to make some changes in the winter and in the summer based on the temperature where you're you're growing this or fermenting this. Um, and then, um, uh, so so sounds like temperature is, is a big deal as well because we have people obviously live in different climates. They need to be take be aware at least of that too that so they may have to do something different in the winter and the summer, or at least have a uh, a temperature controlled area that they do this versus just outside. Yeah, I would not recommend doing it outside in the middle of of winter. Uh-huh. Um, it would be way too cold. Um, okay. It would definitely give you the cold shock and inhibit the lactic acid bacteria growing and have more problems. Most of the time when I hear about fermented feed, it's from the people who did it wrong. Something went wrong. They spent a lot of time, you know, they looked on the Internet and it said, you know, I do it this way. And uh, it may very well work for the person putting it on the Internet, but for the person... Uh, reading it, it doesn't work because of the different factors that are not recorded by the person who's doing it successfully, such as temperature and the source of the fermented feed, the the lactic acid bacteria. Because it doesn't just spontaneously have lactic acid bacteria. You have to have some sort of source of lactic acid bacteria to start with. Interesting. Now, um, kind of getting into the negatives and risks associated um, with this, um, how would anybody know, again, this, uh, I'm basing it on this, uh, listeners, because this is what I see online, uh, but uh, I filled this five-gallon bucket up with some of uh, my uh, poultry feed, which is grain-based, maybe it's organic grain-based feed, and then I've got my water hose over here, and I just covered it with water. Um, you said you know time is time may be different for different folks. Different the temperature, the, the garden hose that's cold water that may be too cold, and you get that cold shock you're talking about. But when they put it in there, maybe they, someone says I leave it for 24 hours or I leave it for 48 hours. They uncover it. I'm assuming it's covered. Um, and then mm-hmm. what things to look out for? Like oh well, obviously mold. You know, mold I would guess would be one thing. And um, but what are some things that they would visually or, or uh, uh, tell, they would be able to smell. You talk about alcohol that smells like alcohol, uh, you're not giving it to your chickens. But uh, let's talk about some of the negatives and then some of these risks that you had talked about, through uh, mold, hypotoxin, things like that, uh, that, that maybe they could key, on, key in on so they don't give this batch. Oh, this batch didn't turn out. i got to do another batch. Some things that can help our listeners know what the dangers and risks are and how to identify those. Right. But, well, if you see any signs of mold at all, you got to throw it all out. Because okay. even if you remove the mold, the mycotoxins remain. And mycotoxins, I mean, mold spores are found everywhere. They're found in your soil, in your plant debris. Uh, crops can be contaminated with them in the field, in, during harvest, during storage, during processing. I mean, mold spores are everywhere. So if you let them ferment and mold starts to grow because what's good for the conditions that are good for fermentation are also good for, micro, uh, for mold. And if you get mold of any kind, I would throw it out immediately because the mycotoxins 
are, they're not worth the risk. I mean, the long-term effects of feeding mycotoxins to your chickens is is enormous. Uh-huh. Got it. Um, and there's just there there maybe it sounds like there's no way to test this. There, there's obviously the possibility that some of these things may truly be uh, a silent. Um, I don't want to say silent death, but you know, a silent, you know, they're they're doing this and they don't don't they may not even realize it that they're feeding. They have these issues and these dangers by doing this because they saw it online. Right. The, yeah. Um, let's talk about if someone starts to do this and because they just saw it. Oh, this is great! It's, it's cut my feed bill in half. Yeah, I'll do it. Well, first off, let's talk about some of the if it's done correctly. We touched on it a little bit, um, but we'll talk about the. Uh, Two things here, and we'll kind of wrap up with anything we didn't cover. One was um, um, the maybe some benefits if it's done correctly to our backyard flock, and then two, equally more important, what we need to look for in our birds if they if we're doing this wrong, if we uh, mold, if we have these issues, what what kind of symptoms we're going to get with our birds, what's going to happen, what this long-term effect, something that I can stop. I just, oh, I'm stopped. I'm not doing this anymore. It must be the feed. I'll just go back to my good old laying pellets. So let's talk a little bit about those two issues, wrap, kind of wrapping this up. Okay. Uh, sometimes the, the only sign of mycotoxins is poor performance. Uh, it okay. could also be sores in your mouth. It could be uh, in their mouth, not yours. Um, it could be uh, lesions internally that you're not even seeing um, because the toxins are working internally. Um, yes, a lot of times they just die, which is not very good for your flock. Gotcha. So I'm thinking backyard poultry keeper. Uh, myself included, many, many years. But the, you know, how, how many would notice? Well, some of those things you describe, you wouldn't be able to notice a lot of times. But is it something that the, the, sooner, the first thing they may notice would be, oh, I have a dead bird out here when I walk out here in the morning. Um, and that, of course, that's loaded because we know poultry. <laughs> that could happen regardless. <laughs> of poultry do that anyway. Them. Right. Exactly. <laughs> but um, yeah, it sounds like that. You know. And it's like it's that. usually a long-term effect. You might not see it right away. It's something that may be building up, um, and then you get chickens that are uh, not coordinated. They're um, stiff-necked, which is a sign of botulism. Um, they could, you know, not be able to walk properly. Um, almost looking drunk, even though they're not drunk. Um, unless you've left it so that it has so much alcohol in it. But um, chickens don't get drunk this, <laughs> quite like we do. But um, the it's something that builds up over time, and if you don't keep an eye on your good eye on your flock, you may not even notice it till it's really bad. And then I get a phone call. Right. So okay, we see this so often uh, in, in, in the small flock poultry is that um, – um, I'm, I'm doing this, and my chickens are fine. Well, mm-hmm. what what is what's your definition of fine? What what does that really mean at the end of the day? And then you know mm-hmm. you haven't been doing it 
enough to have some of these these long term effects. If uh, do the if you do this correctly and and you got the benefits, which I think the biggest benefit I think people are seeing would or, or would say they're seeing or would when they do this. Oh, I'm doing this because uh, maybe increased gut health, increased immune system because of that, uh, and then maybe again all done correctly. Uh, a reduction in their feed bill, uh, the amount of feed uh, and intake. Is, are those the three biggies of what makes those this are the, start? Yeah. The, the three ones that I've seen online and in the research is the improved immune system, the, redu- the reduction uh, in the pathogens by having a competitive exclusion with the lactic uh-huh. acid, uh, there is some benefit to the lining of the digestive tract, which makes them a little bit more efficient um, in terms of absorbing nutrients. If you have a feed that has a lot of phytate in it so that things are being bound up and you're not adding a phytase enzyme to help digest that stuff, it will improve you know, phosphorus availability, which could make you know, stronger eggshells. Um, the the potential benefits are there, but I think the risks outweigh them if you don't know what you're doing. Right, and, and, and obviously there's other people online that that are obviously having great success. Go for it if you if it's working for you. You've worked out a a system that works for you. I'm not going to tell you you're doing it wrong if it's working. But right. I would keep an eye on it to make sure nothing goes wrong. <laughs> exactly. Um, uh, we have so many folks that say that online. I mean, I'm not telling you not to do this. If it's working for you, keep doing it. And and, and like you said earlier, until you get that phone call, <laughs> well, everything yep. seemed to be fine until uh, until this, that, and then like I said, I, I don't have an opinion really on this one way or the other. We just want to get folks out there that – um, get all their chicken education from a lot of their forum to say, uh, my biggest goal here was to say, oh, there's a lot more to this than just, you know, bringing the garden hose over and filling up a five-gallon bucket with this. How is, is there, obviously this is done, if you got a small flock, it's done in small batches, because I would think that if you did a big batch, they all oh, save me some time, I'll just do this big batch, then I can just scoop out of this bucket, give it covered. There's a high, obviously a higher risk of that batch going bad um, with mold and all these other issues because you have this wet, yeah. soggy feed here. Uh, so just yeah. small batch uh, every day, every other day, something like that, versus trying to save time. So again, it gets back to the time. Do the benefits of this outweigh the risks? In your opinion, it really does not. When we could just add yeah. a probiotic, some of these same things to the water that's designed for chickens and be over with, versus doing all this. Um, and then uh, the the, uh, the time of, of actually doing this and the effort of actually doing this, and then at the end of the day, are you really um, improving the health of your uh, of your chickens? So um, yeah, th- we've covered our our five questions that I wanted to cover in, in today. And uh, if there was something else that during your research or preparing for the show you wanted to cover, you're more than happy to, to share with the share share it with our audience um, now if there was anything in your outline you wanted to make sure you got or conveyed to the folks. So I think you you had five very good questions, and um, I think we covered them pretty well. And as I said, if if you don't know what you're doing, 
and you're doing it by trial and error, then your chickens are your experimental uh, animal and you may not like the consequences. So, you know, don't take a risk with your small flock. It's not worth it. Yeah. Or at least, you know, we're not, we're, again, no, nobody's saying not to do this, but at least do the research. Get get that time frame. Instead of just saying, I just, you know, I'll leave it overnight. Well, it may need to be long. Look at the temperature. Look at the temperature of the water you're adding, the temperature of the outside air, and, and how long to let it ferment. And then how, I think, uh, again, don't just say, oh, all you do is fill it with water and wait 24 hours and you're done. Um, yeah. If you really think interested in doing this, do the research um, and look where that research is coming from and, and try it and see if it, if it does the time and the effort and knowing the risks in the back of your head is at the end of the day, is this really worth it for me and my flock? Some will say yes, some will say no, and then they'll go on with their life. But I do think that that's uh, at the end of this program, most people say, wow, it is more than just that, and I probably do want to do a little bit more research before I choose or not or choose not to do this. So, Doc, thank you very much for coming on the show today. If I get any kind of email specific questions I think are very important we didn't cover, I'll uh, send them over your way, and then I can post them on our Facebook and, and share about it in our uh, future radio shows. Hey, I had this question. Uh, I reached out to Dr. Jacob, and here's the answer for our listeners that had that. Or we got you know, the same question over and over that uh, we just didn't cover that, that they were interested in. So I'll definitely keep you in the loop regarding that. And thank you very much for coming you may, on. You may even have somebody uh, that's a reader that's interested uh, in investigating it with the SARE project, uh, I can't remember true, what SARE true. stands for. This the uh, sustainable agriculture research, something or other. Um, I mean, I can find out more information. There's different regions that have different SARE groups, and um, you could get a grant to help you test it. But I would have somebody help you that knows how to do research, so that you're getting research that you can then uh, make applicable to other farms because what you find online is not detailed enough uh, to transfer it to another site. But there's always funding for research. That's awesome. Yeah, exactly. If you're interested in doing that and want to do it, uh, try to get those numbers uh, that, that, you know, hey, we tried this and, and we got this outcome. We tried this temperature water. We did it for this long. We set it for the, we used this uh, feed. So I think that would be absolutely uh, awesome. And it, it would take time and uh, uh, get those grants. Yeah, what a great, great opportunity for somebody if they're willing to do that correctly and, and help everybody else out with getting those answers. That's super. Great suggestion. Doc, thank you very much again for, for coming on and, uh, um, I, who knows when we'll have you come on again and uh, we, we get a little bit more detailed in this but thanks so much you have a great day you too <laughs> thank you Bye. folks that was uh, Dr. Jacqueline Jacob PhD uh, with um, the uh, University of Kentucky uh, Animal and uh, Feed um, Sciences uh, Department out there and uh, what, what a great show we'll be back uh, talk a little bit more about this after the break Hey, it's the Chicken Whisperer, here to tell you that if you have backyard poultry, nothing is more important than making sure your feathered friends are safe from infectious poultry diseases. Learn the simple steps to keep your birds healthy by visiting this website, healthybirds.aphis.usda.gov. That's healthybirds.aphis.usda.gov. <laughs> 
A message from the USDA. Ware Manufacturing has been building quality hutches since 1983. Ware manufactures modern chicken hutches, barns, pens, and nest boxes designed especially for the backyard flock. Ware offers hutches and pens for every yard size and every chicken keeper's budget. Visit their website at waremfginc.com. That's W-A-R-E-M-F-G-I-N-C.com. Or call them to find a retailer near you at 1-888-824-7257. Ware Manufacturing. you provide a heat source for your backyard chickens in the winter? In most cases, it's not necessary. But if you choose to provide a heat source for your backyard chickens, it's imperative to use a safe and effective heat source, and the only one I recommend is the Sweeter Heater. The Sweeter Heater is a safe, completely sealed, washable, non-breakable, energy-efficient, long-lasting and reliable specific area heater that comes with a three-year warranty. Ditch the dangerous heat lamp this season and invest in the only heater I recommend, the Sweeter Heater. Purchase the Sweeter Heater online at SweeterHeater.com. That's SweeterHeater.com. Since 1921, Stromberg's has been a family-owned and operated business providing quality poultry and poultry supplies to their customers. Today, the Stromberg's family offers over 200 different breeds of poultry, including chickens, waterfowl, and game birds. They also offer poultry supplies for both the beginner and experienced poultry keeper. Stromberg should be on the top of your list when it's time to order your new day-old baby chicks and poultry supplies. Order online today at StrombergsChickens.com. That's StrombergsChickens.com. Hey, it's the Chicken Whisperer. If you're in the market for a new incubator, then look no further than GQF. They have a great selection of tabletop and cabinet-style incubators at prices you can afford. I love my GQF Genesis Model 1588. It has a large picture window and an automatic thermostat, which makes for a better hatch every time. Go pick out your new incubator at GQFradio.com. That's GQFradio.com. Want to protect your hens from the damage caused by an overly affectionate rooster? Nothing protects hens better than the Hen Saver Hen Apron. Hen Saver Hen Aprons come in several different sizes to fit both bantam and large fowl hens. They also come in several different styles and colors. Give your hens the protection they deserve by purchasing Hen Saver Hen Aprons today. 100% of all proceeds goes to provide care to rescued animals at Crazy K Farm in Hempstead, Texas. Purchase your Hen Saver Hen Aprons at hensaver.com. That's hensaver.com. From our family to yours, feed your chickens the way nature intended. Pure, wholesome goodness. Kalmbach Feeds. Visit our website at kalmbachfeeds.com.
That's K-A-L-M-B-A-C-H-Feeds.com. Or order today on Amazon.com. Kalmbach Feeds is a proud sponsor of The Chicken Whisperer. All right, thanks for staying with us today. Great show. Uh, I'm very thankful. Uh, we had a longtime listener who had uh, done some research and found uh, Dr. Jacqueline Jacob, um, her information in an article that she wrote, and, and, and she said it. She says, you know, we don't hear from a lot of folks that do fermenting poultry feed until and something's wrong, their birds are sick, their birds are dying. You know, that's, that's when we hear about this. Not ahead of time to see if we're doing it right or how to do it right or how to do this or how to do that. We get the call, we hear from them when something bad has happened uh, due to the risk, due to, the, the, to their flock from doing it the wrong way. Um, so, so, folks, obviously we want you to do the research. We want you to do it correctly. If you're going to do this, it's more than just looking at a silly chicken blog and saying, oh, all you do is fill up this five-gallon bucket with water until every 24 hours it's motion and give it to them. So much more than that. Uh, we obviously tip of the iceberg on, on today's show. Uh, maybe we'll uh, research and try to find somebody that's been doing this for some time that has had success and give us some uh, you know tricks of the trade and some tips to do it correctly. I think that would be a fabulous show that we can do and uh, we'll have to look at that and see if we can find somebody that fits that mold. So um, just a little bit of information. We have officially wrapped up the second edition of my first book, The Chicken Whisperer's Guide to Keeping uh, Chickens. That's done, and uh, it should be out sometime the um, late spring of next year. And then we have now uh, officially started the writing of my second book, uh, The Fact or Chicken Poop Book. And I did this online, but I'll, for those of you who are listening and listen live or listen to the archive, there's thousands of you, so hopefully we'll get a few emails out of this. But uh, we'd love for you to email me and uh, send me things that statements that you found on chicken blogs and chicken forums that, that you feel is that's just too good to be true uh, or you want to know if it's fact or chicken poop. And some examples are apple cider vinegar uh, makes eggshells harder. Apple cider vinegar uh, prevents internal parasites. Uh, pumpkin seeds prevent internal parasites. Diatomaceous syrup does this, does that, does this, does that. Um, anything you've seen uh, that, we'd, that we'd like to, or maybe worthwhile to include in this book, fact or chicken poop. So send it over to us. That is very simply cw at chickenwhisperer.com. cw at chickenwhisperer.com. Something you've seen on blogs, something you've seen on the forums. I uh, said, this, 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 this is too good to be true. Or where, where did you hear that? Show me the proof. Where is this? Uh, pointy eggs, when you incubate them, turn into roosters or, or cockerels in the rounded, more rounded eggs or, uh, yeah, whatever. Um, so, so different things like that you've seen and these things that are, have gone viral, things that people are pushing. When the topic comes up, you got these folks, oh, well, it's uh, – uh, Halloween, you need to give them pumpkin because that uh, is an all-natural bee wormer for chickens. And, you know, anything like that, we would love to hear from you. Uh, and if it, uh, we see value in it, then hey, it's going to end up in the book and uh, fact for chicken poop. So uh, send us your suggestions on things you've seen, statements that people have made. Not, well, I do this because I feel like it. I mean, these are, I'm, I want statements that people say, you know, uh, red pepper flakes increase egg production in the winter. That's a statement somebody made. Okay, you can say, show me the proof. Where's the proof? They'll never show you the proof because it doesn't exist. And then send that to us, and we'll uh, try to put that in the book. Uh, we're looking for about different, 75 different statements that we'll send to our uh, resident experts that, have, that agreed to participate in the book um, and, um, and, and 
do the research to see if there's any research out there on the planet that proves that that statement is correct. So uh, please do that. And again, next week, two wonderful shows. Tuesday, don't forget, we'll have Dr. Petiski uh, from UC Davis University, poultry veterinarian. And I believe we're going to be talking about, I've got it written down, trying to think where it's at. A really great topic on, um, what is it? on Tuesday at 2 p.m., and then we'll have Dr. Bridget McCrae next Thursday at 2 p.m., so double whammy for you next week right here on Backyard Poultry with the Chicken Whisperer brought to you by Combug Feeds. Hope you enjoyed today's show. God bless everybody. Oh, I'm going to tell you this. Regardless, because it is the season, regardless of who you voted for uh, in the election that had just occurred, please remember that chickens have both a left-wing and a right wing. I guess that's why we love them so much. Chickens have a left wing and a right wing. God bless everybody. Take care.